Um, right, another Sunday, another podcast. Um, today, I have to say, I am extremely, extremely privileged um, to be joined by the wonderful Asifa Lahore. Um, and Asifa uh, kindly reached out after a recent article that I was, um, I was featured in. And um, I just think, what an amazing role model. I think a lot of people in the LGBT community know Asifa. So um, Asifa, thank you for, for joining me. Why don't you tell me just a bit more and tell the listeners a bit more about who you are and, and what you do and, and how Asifa Lahore came to be? So I'm Asifa Lahore and I am Britain's first out Muslim drag queen. Um, I began performing, I'd say about five years ago, when by total accident I entered um, a drag competition in London. Um, it was a competition called Drag Idol. And I entered it as a little bit of a joke, um, uh, you know, like I, as a teenager I went to the Brit School of Performing Arts. And I ended up like not like following a, a career in performing because I was getting a lot of pressure from my mom and dad to do something a bit more sort of respectable. Um, uh, so, you know, fast forwarding to like post uni, fast forward, fast forwarding to like when I'm like in a really comfortable position in my life, I then decide to enter a drag competition. Um, and I was the first Asian person and the first Muslim person to enter this um, drag idol competition. And by that point, I think it'd been running for about nine years. Okay. And, um, yeah, I just entered it and uh, won the bronze award. And sort of it just sort of kick-started my career in terms of performing up and down the country in, in club nights, you know, mostly LGBT venues. Um, I then went on to... Um, uh, open my own gay Asian club nights um, and then I sort of um, started using like social media and YouTube just to like give a voice to like what I was going through and you know put out music and perform um, and then and then I got involved with the media which has led me to where I am now. Yeah so um, what does what does drag mean or represent to you so a few people I speak to, for them, drag is a very new concept. Um, and obviously it's not new in the world, but new to them. Um, so what does drag represent to you? What made you want to get involved? You said you did it a little bit by accident. Yeah. So, I mean, as a teenager, I went to the Brit school and I was always sort of like naturally um, inclined to like perform. I always wanted to perform and... And um, I just never got the chance to do that post uh, Brit school because I was getting a lot of like family pressure to kind of go into a career that that you know was more respectable, like becoming a doctor or a lawyer or okay. you know an engineer or something. And so that's that's left. quite normal for a lot of people, a lot of Muslims anyway, um, who have come from migrant backgrounds to go into a more respectable career. So, did you pursue that? How far down the line of becoming a doctor did you get? So I basically like went to university um, and um, I didn't sort of follow a medical degree. I kind of did the next best thing, which was um, film uh, and media studies. Um, and I went to university because um, I didn't, you know, I, I got a place at RADA, but I didn't pursue it because of family pressure. And so I went to um, uni, did the next best thing. And then once I completed that degree... I just realized my natural love was to perform. Um, and 
I think drag for me was just about performing. It was about self-expression. Um, you know, at that point, like I started it in 2011 when I entered this competition. And it was very, very interesting. Like the world is at a point where, you know, Muslims are being talked about. And I sort of felt that I was sitting on like, you know, a crossroads of all these different identities. Mm. And I sort of used drag as a way of sort of expressing these different identities um, and just having fun with it as well. And what, what are the identities? What were the different identities that you felt you were putting together? So in the performances and, and in who I was being, you know, there was obviously, um, I spent like my, um, you know, teenage years and 20s, like really watching drag shows. So for me, my representation of identities was being British, um, my Pakistani heritage, um, my Muslim, you know, um, religious background. Um, me being LGBT, me being, you know, me identifying as a gay man. Mm. And then on top of that, as, as a drag queen as well, because I wanted to perform and essentially tap into my feminine identity as well. So it was all these things that were sort of sitting together that I was expressing, like, through my shows and through my performances. Um, were you scared? Um, no, not really, no. At the start, I was never, ever scared because... I was mostly performing to um, gay audiences and LGBT audiences. And I don't know, there was a lot of freedom, um, a lot of, you know, there was this sort of freedom to be fully self-expressed. I think LGBT audiences are so, like, used to sort of pushing boundaries that um, I, I was never sort of fearful in, in, that, in those environments to really perform how I wanted to perform. And what what was the reaction? Reaction. So you came third in the first um, accidental drag show that you did, um, and then you just went on from there. And, and did you ever think, okay, well, I'm gonna give this. This is gonna become full time what I do, or has that kind of just snowballed? It's definitely snowballed. I mean, at the start, I never ever intended it to be, you know, what it is today. It was literally something I did you know, I'd say like at the weekend, like once a week, I would just like do a drag show. I'd get booked at a venue to to do a drag show. And uh, after after I won the bronze award that year, and it just kind of just, it snowballed into what it is today. And so then you, you did Muslim Drag Queens, which was on Channel 4, was it just towards the end of last year? Yeah. Um, and how did that come about? Was that something that you proactively pitched? No, I didn't pitch it at all. Um, Muslim drag queens actually came about um, as a result of um, a documentary I did with The Guardian, which was literally just an online documentary by the same name okay. um, and by the same production team, Swan Films. Um, that came about, oddly enough, as a result of me doing BBC Free Speech the year before where, you know, I posed the question about um, when will it be okay to be uh, gay and Muslim. Um, and as a result of that, you know, The Guardian got in touch to say, you know, um, we've never ever spoken to a Muslim drag queen before. Can we, you know, interview you? And then from the interview, it just became a natural sort of stepping stone to do a documentary on, on the gay Asian um, community and, and, and um, you know, the Muslim drag community in Britain. 
And then that documentary, that online documentary, just led to Channel 4 getting in touch and saying we, we want to commission a, an hour-long broadcast on the subject. So it just sort of snowballed out of nowhere. I'm really interested about the Muslim drag community because um, that, I think, for a lot of people would be new to even think that there's a Muslim drag community out there. Mm. Um, what, what, is, what is it like? What are the sorts of questions and conversations that happen within that community? Um, to be honest, it's a very fun, jovial and, um, you know, on the surface, very light-hearted um, community. I mean, yesterday I, I, I attended um, a drag party in East London, actually, and the atmosphere is very jovial. It's, you know, a lot, um, there's queens performing, there's, in, in some cases in the club, there's food and dinner as well involved. Um, it's, it's very much a social community-based atmosphere where people come and in many ways it's, it's a form of escapism where people come and just sort of escape and for you know for five hours uh, in that night they're just being themselves and sort of escaping the the challenges of the real life of you know the, the day in and day out challenges of being gay and muslim and, and what are those in your eyes and i guess from your experience what are those challenges you know, many people are living, like, hidden lives. So, you know, be, um, it's this choice of whether to be out or not out. And most people, I'd say 90% of the community, chooses not to be out because of, you know, fear of persecution, fear of, you know, being exposed, fear of their families, you know, being persecuted as well. I think, you know... It, coming from Asian backgrounds, coming from Muslim backgrounds, we very much are community-based people where, you know, I'm not saying we're not individuals, we are, but as, you know, when you think individual, I think a lot of people think it's just about you, but we're very much, we represent our families, then we represent our community. So for a lot of people, the reason why they don't choose to be out is because they don't want their families to sort of, you know, get a bad name or honour still very much plays a part in the community. Mm. Um, so, and also I think because there's a lack of visibility and lack of visible role models from the community itself, people feel that there's no other choice. Like they feel, okay, if I come out, I've got, what am I going to fall back on? I've got nothing to fall back on. You know, there's sort of most people are entering into marriages of convenience or most people are keeping quiet about being gay. Let me just do the same. Why should I put my head above water and, and rock the boat massively of my life? And you say, you say role models. So who do you look to? Because I would say you're a role model now and the attention that you've had in the media has really put you in the spotlight as... Uh, a gay Muslim, but who do you look to as a role model for yourself? Um, wow, I mean, thank you. I've never sort of like seen myself as a role model, sort of like set myself out to be a role model. Um, it's, um, you know, I've just literally just been myself. And I think for me, you know, I never ever had someone who was gay, Muslim, you know, of the same, you know, race as myself as Asian out there. So, it's very interesting. I mean, my role models, I would say, are very strong feminine figures like Benazir Bhutto, the first, you know, female prime minister of Pakistan and, and the Muslim world. And, um, you know, figures like RuPaul, you know, RuPaul, for instance, like um, 
an icon of the 90s, but also, you know, a, a black man who, who is a drag queen as well, who transcends all sorts of barriers. Um, so really strong sort of super femme figures like that, you know, with, with power, with purpose, um, and very, you know, true to their integrity and authenticity, really, I, I, I look up to people like that. And, and with those people, I'm just trying to work out um, where Islam now fits into your life. Um, and if someone was, what, what is your relationship like with Islam? What would you say? I mean, I always say that my relationship with Islam is very strong. It's very much um, set within me. It's very much like honed in on me um, from birth, from my upbringing. And it's a very strong identity um, for me. I mean, you know, I've been asked to leave Islam famously many times on the media. And it's, it, and it's ridiculous because if I were to take that on... It would mean, you know, going back to sort of community-based and and not seeing myself as as an individual. It would mean me literally leaving my um, my family, my mum, my father, um, uh, and these are people that are in my life that support me, that want the best for me. Um, it would mean me never entering like Pakistan ever again, or you know, never entering sort of Asian community areas in in the UK. Um, it's just, you know, if I really were to leave Islam, I'd literally have to leave like a whole side of me. Now, you know, I've never ever said that I've got the right answers when it comes to being Muslim and gay. I've just searched for authenticity around the subject. And and for me, you know, when it comes to the five pillars of Islam, of, you know, believing in one God, of praying, of fasting, of giving to charity, um, and I always forget the fifth one, pilgrimage. Uh, pilgrimage, yes, pilgrimage yeah. yes. So, you know, um, you know, those are things that, I've, that I do constantly or have done. Um, I don't drink. I don't, you know, um, eat non-halal things. It's very interesting because I always say the things that I can control mm. um, or I have a choice over, uh, I very much stick to an Islamic way of living. Now... The idea of homosexuality being a choice, I, I firmly know and believe that it isn't a choice. Um, and, and for me, because I don't have a choice over that matter, I cannot just suddenly sort of, you know, um, change myself or transform myself in, in, in that way of, of my identity. What I choose to do around it, though, is to... I, I've never seen myself as unequal to my heterosexual Muslim counterparts. So what they have, I want too. So I, I've wanted marriage, I've wanted monogamy, um, and that's something that I've, I've acquired in life. And, um, you know, for example, when people think of people being gay, they think of um, a hedonistic lifestyle, they think of um, promiscuity, they think of, you know, all sorts of stereotypes. You know, drugs, rock and roll, everything, drinking, boozing. Um, and there's parts of, you know, the LGBT community and, and way of living that I choose not to do. Um, the idea, I guess, the notion for me is not really having the right answer, but having choice over authenticity around the subject and how to sort of maneuver and, and be true to myself as well as, you know, the almighty above. Um, because I firmly believe that if the Almighty knows everything about me inside out, why am I hiding it from people 
that are, you know, his servants on earth, for example. You know, what, why am I being so inauthentic with people around me when on the day of judgment, um, I firmly believe that uh, God already knows exactly who I am and what I'm doing. And you touch on something there around the LGBT lifestyle. Um, mm. It can be perceived as hedonistic and fueled by drugs and alcohol. How do you find being Muslim fits into that, into the LGBT world? It's really interesting because the first few times as a teenager I'd sneak into a gay venue. Um, God, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be dancing on the dance floor and literally having like conversations and debates about why I identified as Muslim. Um, because it's very interesting. It's not only like you know, right-wing scholars and imams that want me to leave Islam. Also, the LGBT community want me to leave Islam because religion isn't seen as something that can be fits, that, that fits well with, with being LGBT. Um, whereas for me, it's because it's, it's a way of being, because it's, it's, it's a huge part of my identity. You know, I, I, I will fight for um, homophobia in the Muslim communities just as strongly as I will fight for Islamophobia in the LGBT communities. Um, well, my, that, you've got two fights there. You've got, yeah. And that's, I mean, do you feel that's quite heavy to take on? Yeah, definitely. God, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I do wonder, God, why, like, <laughs> why am I placed in this situation where, um, you know, I, uh, I really do have to defend myself in whatever environment or atmosphere that I'm in, or whatever community I'm in. But actually, I found, um, I said, that the more and more I've gone on this journey, the more and more comfortable I am with who I am, and the people around me actually are, are much more comfortable now as well. I mean, those debates, I'm not having as much anymore, because I think people are seeing the authenticity and the realness behind it. Mm. And I was just thinking about, I was thinking about to um, back to Muslim drag queens mm. and there was a scene where you're in a pub and someone you're with a Muslim decides to pray in mm. the pub and that for you presented a bit of a dilemma um, mm. around whether that's okay because a pub by its nature is not an Islamic sp space so just talk me through that because I think looking at what happened on Twitter that was a bit that spiked where it got difficult to understand you know you are trying to be Muslim but you're also in a pub how, how do you do that? Sure. I mean, for me, for example, I mean, the great thing about doing Muslim drag queens is that it was shot so authentically. We were allowed to say and be whoever we wanted to be and nothing was sort of, you know, produced as such. So there was an occasion where I was in a pub and I was mentoring a new drag queen who was, you know, going to do his debut performance that week. Um, and he basically, um, he, it was time for Usr, um, and his phone went off. So off, and the alarm was for, off. for anyone who doesn't know what Usr is, it's um, the third it, prayer in, in the day of the five prayers. In one yeah, day. it's the late afternoon prayer. And, um, you know, it's, um, what happened was that, you know, his, his, uh, his alarm went off for prayer, and he wanted to pray there and then. Now... You know, because the, the issue of being gay and Muslim is so polarized, it's something that's always confronting. So you're always having to live life being confronted at any given moment. And that was an occasion where I was literally confronted. And I had to make a decision. Do I pray or do I not? And one side of 
me was saying, look, it's you have the freedom to pray. You should be able to pray where you want. Um, and then the other side was saying, well, you know, let's take my sexual orientation aside. If I was if I was heterosexual and I was in a pub right now, would I choose to pray? And the the reality is that I I don't think I would have. Um, so I chose not to pray um, at that point. And I, I said, I actually, what wasn't shown in the in the broadcast was I had a discussion with him. I said, you know, we can go to a mosque or, you know, we can uh, pray sort of later. Because in, in Islam, like if you aren't able to pray where you are at the time of prayer, you can do something called qaza, which is you can you can pray later and make up that prayer. So me, for example, say if I'm out in the club and I'm performing um, and it's time to pray, I won't pray there and then. I'll, I'll pray when I get home and when I'm out of drag and when, you know, um, there's a certain ritual you've got to follow before you pray where you've got to kind of wash your body in a certain manner. Um, so for me, that, that sort of occasion was quite confronting. And I, again, I was just true to myself. Um, in in what I would do um, um, if I were heterosexual, I mean, I you know, I kind of went to that place I was in my mind where I was like, okay, what would I do if I were heterosexual? Would I pray here in a pub? Um, and I, you know, I'm glad that that scene went ahead because when we were shown the rough cards, I knew that that scene would cause a lot of debates because you've got you know a young Muslim guy who's just you know in his early twenties and he's like yeah, I want to pray in a pub. And then you've got someone like me who's slightly mature um, and who doesn't want to pray. Um, and that was, you know, that was, that was an occasion where my boundary was actually pushed. And it's interesting because I look at guys that are sort of like, you know, in their late teens or, or, or sorry, I look at gay Muslims that are like in their late uh, teens or early 20s and they're pushing boundaries more than I am. Um, which, you know, potentially I think is the next step in sort of getting the issue out there even more. Mm. And so that leads me on to that question you mentioned from BBC Three uh, that you asked on the free speech, which was, when will it be okay to be gay and Muslim? So with a new generation growing up and pushing those boundaries, do you think now it's okay for them? Wow. Um, wow. The $64 million question. Um, I think what I think like by me being visible and by me really like in the last couple of years, like really going for it and being out in the media, I think it's really um, inspired people really to have bold conversations in their households, in the communities and amongst, you know, their friend circle. I mean, the LGBT community itself, the wider mainstream LGBT community you know, was was discussing this issue of whether someone can be, can identify as, um, you know, as being of faith and identify as being LGBT. And it's really opened up a lot of, you know, a different level of pride where, you know, uh, the LGBT community right now is, has reached so much equality where the sort of activism has become quite laxed. People feel, okay, we've got all these rights, let's like sit back and relax now. But I think with me being so visible out there, it's brought a, a new sense to activism and the new sort of hidden communities within the LGBT community. So is it okay to be gay and Muslim? I think it is. I think it's, it's definitely okay to be gay and Muslim. 
I think the next sort of battle or the next challenge is to take that question out there into the communities. And when I say communities, I mean both the, the LGBT communities and, and the Muslim communities and really go to town on it. And, you know, I mean, I've just started it. I just really feel that we're just like very much at the tip of the iceberg. Literally, I've just scratched the surface. And now I think more and more LGBT Muslims in their teenage years and, and 20s are now probably going to push the boundary even more and more and more. Um, so I think we're at a very, I think we're at a very interesting space in time right now. Yeah. So this might sound like an odd question, but mm. how will you know when your work is done? So you are an activist from what yeah. you're saying. How are you going to know that there's been a change or how do you already know that? I mean, I know that right now I know the impact of me being visible, I know that because I see the numbers, for instance, that are coming to the gay Asian um, club scene. I know, you know, the amounts of, um, you know, I get like dozens and dozens of messages and emails every day from young LGBT Muslims uh, around the world. So I know the impacts. I, in terms of visibility, it, it's just we've just scratched the surface. When will I know? I think I'll probably know when, you know, statistically, if we really apply the statistic that one in 10 people is LGBT, then really there's probably one LGBT person in every Muslim household around the world. Because um, <laughs> they are big households. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I think I'll, I will know once there's much more visibility and when Saudi Arabia, which is essentially where the heart of Islam is, really does sort of issue a, I don't know exactly what the word is, but, you know, issue a statement where it really either talks about um, homosexuality or really makes it okay. Um, and I don't know what, what, you know, I don't know how that will happen or when it will happen. Do, do you think that's think possible? That's, do you really think that's possible? I mean, it's very interesting. Had you asked this question in the UK 70, 60 odd years ago, I think the gay Christian debate was happening then as well. And, and many people argue that it's still happening today. Um, do, hand on my heart, do I firmly believe that that will happen? Yes, I do. And, and the reason why is because as human beings, we, will, we always evolve. I mean, Islam has evolved since its inception. Um, you know, many moons ago. I mean, you know, for example, slavery isn't, isn't something that we, we deal with in, in Islam anymore, whereas years ago, it, you know, centuries ago, it was the norm and slavery was very much the norm in Islam. And, you know, there's certain sections that of, of practicing Islam that we have dropped and that we have sort of um, progressed on. And I think that, you know, homosexuality in many ways is seen as the last taboo in Islam and in, and in Asian communities. And I do believe that, you know, with, with, with all these conversations that are happening very much probably in the West right now, um, and we're very much, you know, talking about decriminalization of LGBT people um, in, in, in India and in South Asia right now. I think it's, it's a matter of time. I think it's, a very, it's going to take a very long time. But I think it will happen, yes. 
I, I just, I'm, I'm amazed because I just, I perhaps have a more pessimistic view, but I, I just can't see it happening right now. That's not to say it won't. And I, yeah. um, actually in all that you have, you're so forthright um, that, that it will come. Um, I mean, it was only what, I think it was 60, you know, next year it's going to be 60 years since homosexuality was decriminalized in the UK. 60 years, and I still think there's a lot of homophobia in the UK and transphobia in the UK, and, you know, socially I still think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but, you know, if you and I were both gay Christians right now, you know, 60-odd years ago, we'd probably be having the same conversation. Mm. And I just think, if, you know, will it take 60 years? It may take more, I don't know. But I, I do firmly believe that it will evolve and things will transform. And... Over the course of um, the last few years, what's the hardest thing for you that you've had to face now that you've ha had more attention in the media? What's the hardest thing that I've had to face? Probably is you, um, the hardest thing I've had to face is a lot of like online abuse and, and death threats. I mean, you only need to go into my Instagram and YouTube to see all those. And, um, you know, I, I, it's very hard, I think, um, for me to read stuff, uh, potentially, you know, um, especially around my mum, you know, who supported me like from, from the word go. She chose to be in, you know, chose to be visible in Muslim drag queens as well the Channel 4 version, and I think sometimes I just, you know, when I read a comment about, about um, you know, from, you know, a young Muslim man about my mum, and I just think, God, like, you know, you're saying this in the name of Islam, and you're really going to town on an older Muslim woman, um, and really going against the whole concept of peace and love and, and everything that Islam stands um, for. Um, I think that's, those are probably like the most challenging things and you know those when I do sometimes I mean sometimes I read it and I just laugh and other times it really gets to me and I've really got to pick myself up so yeah I think I think those moments are quite challenging for me. It's, yeah, it's just amazing how within those you look to your faith to find mm -hmm. the answer or look to your faith to provide some peace with it because even if, and I like what you said before, even if you weren't gay, you were questioning things as a heterosexual person in the pub, mm. it's the same thing. If someone was um, speaking badly of your mum, for whatever reason, it's just not very Islamic to do so. Mm. Um, so it's interesting how your faith plays a role even in that. It's, it's almost a meta um, way of looking at it. Um, okay, so just, you know, we've done half an hour, we've talked for 30 minutes. What what one piece of advice would you give to Muslims out there? And why don't we break that up? So what one piece of advice would you give to gay Muslims out there and then also to others who wouldn't identify as LGBT? Okay. So to gay Muslims, I would actually, the best advice I could give is just be yourself and actually go for the things you really want in life. Um, you know, I think a lot of LGBT Muslims enter into marriages of convenience or, or inauthentic marriages because they feel that that's the only route. Um, and the best advice I, I'll give them is just be yourself, love yourself and um, be authentic about it. Um, you know, coming out, I get, isn't for everybody. But by bringing someone innocent into the equation um, and... You know, I think many LGBT Muslims 
feel that once they're in a heterosexual sort of marriage or setup that it would just vanish or things will be okay. But the reality is things don't really work like that. Um, so just be authentic and just be bold and brave. Um, and, you, you know, I'm not saying you need to go on national television and do a documentary on Muslim drag queens, but I'm just saying be true and be real with yourself about who you are um, and, and just follow through with that. Um, to sort of like the Muslim community, what I'd say is meet a gay Muslim. Meet a gay Muslim, have an open mind and have a conversation. I think, you know, the amount of like, whenever I speak to Muslims, um, you know, my, my heterosexual Muslim brothers and sisters, I think they have a lot of sort of story around who I am and all these preconceived um, perceptions around me. And then they sit down and have a conversation with me and then they realize how everyday Muslim I am. And by that, you know, they can see that culturally it's really instilled in me. They can see like, you know, many of them actually say that you're probably a better Muslim than I am. You know, you, you, uh, you, I, you know, they say that they drink, that they've had, you know, sex before marriage, all sorts of things. And here I am like really, um, you know, sort of quite solid with my grounding around it. Um, Look, this is a challenging pathway, okay? And in many ways, we may not see eye to eye to each other. But what we can agree on is that we're here in this world. We've been sent here for a reason. We've been made probably by the same maker. And there's a reason for this. And um, what I'd say is, look, you probably have an LGBT person in your family. You know, definitely. And a lot of people look at the men. They actually forget about the women. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's some... When we look at this Islamically, we're meant to be supportive of everyone in our family and community. And that's before we cast any stones or any judgments. We're actually meant to really be supportive. But if we take on the notion that there's an LGBT person in every Muslim household... As Muslims, we're actually doing a disservice to our brothers and sisters by not supporting them in their hours of need. If there's a person in your family that inside is crying or is not able to be themselves or is not able to voice who they are, and in many ways their soul is dying like a, a, a slow death, then that, in, if, if we really look at it, that in itself is un-Islamic. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's a really powerful place to, to end, really, to ask people to have those conversations. Mm. And like you say, it's very surprising when you meet a gay Muslim, just how Muslim they are, um, yeah. and just so happen to be gay. Um, right, Asifa, so where can people go if they want to find out a bit more about you? Um, I'm all over social media, so you can get me on um, Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, at Asifa Lahore. Um, and you can also go to asifalahore.com as well. Fantastic. All right, Asifa, well, thank you so much. Um, and that was it, another episode of Muslim Pride, um, another one to follow soon.